to overcome, succeed in dealing with a problem or difficulty, defeat of an opponent to prevail, overpower or overwhelm of an emotion, adversity, a difficult or unpleasant situation, used in a sentence, resilience in the face of adversity. I want to break free. Welcome to Overcoming Adversity Podcast with Amanda Marino, myself, and Blake Cohen, my awesome co-host. Hey, Blake. Hello, hello. We're so excited to have you guys here today on episode 11. We have an awesome guest who um, we're going to have Blake introduce. Go ahead, Blake. So we do have an awesome guest. And I think what we're always looking to do on this podcast is just explore the different type of adversities that people have overcome. And, And our guest today is Eric Bruckheimer, a.k.a. Brooks a.k.a. Kingpin, a.k.a. Mr. West Virginia. I just made up those last two, but I think they're pretty good. And a.k.a. 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 a.k.a., yeah. (laughs) And he's got an interesting story and a different perspective. Not only is he in recovery, but he's overcome some other adversities that are really difficult and took a toll on his body, on his health, and his mental health as well. So, Eric, thanks for joining us today, brother. Yeah, thank you both. I appreciate the opportunity here. Thank you, Eric, for, we're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for reaching out. Likewise. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Yeah. We had tried to connect a little while ago. You emailed us originally and is that correct? Right. You did. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I was like sharing with you guys earlier, like whenever you guys had started this podcast, just the, um, just the title, you know, the overcoming adversity I thought was different, unique, and, um, really intriguing to me. And, uh, you know, I really, to be honest with you, I really pondered probably for about a good week and a half, you know, do I hit send on that email to you guys uh, just for the simple fact that, you know, I mean, being vulnerable is not still not easy. Um, right. You know, um, you know, there, you know, there's still a, it's still a daily challenge to, you know, break through, you know, facades that society tells me I need to uphold you know, to feel good about myself. So, you know, this was, it was like one of those things where it was, this is completely out of my comfort zone and what I, what I'm typically accustomed to, but something was just telling me like, do it, man. You, you know, you you went through something. Um, You had a lot of people um, that were a part of why you were able to get on the other side of that. And, uh, and, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe someone connects with it. I think that's, that's, that's awesome. overcoming all adversities, right? Is is taking that step into fear, and, and and that's the only possible way to overcome any adversity is is to face that fear, to recognize what that fear is, and then lean into it and just take the chance and put yourself out there. I don't know anybody who's accomplished anything who would tell you any different. They, you have to put yourself out there and the level of confidence that you get from doing that alone, whether something comes from, from this or anything that we do or not, the level of confidence that comes from it is worth the journey. I agree. Absolutely. So you're from and West Virginia. Fact- I am. Yeah, I'm born and raised in you know what we call, um, if you're familiar with the state, West Virginia essentially has two pand- panhandles. So one is the like skinny one, uh, which we call the Northern Panhandle. So, you know, that's where I was born and raised. Um, you know, good, good proximity is we're about 35 minutes west of Pittsburgh. Um, so that's where I was, you know, grew up. 
Okay. And West Virginia, though, is, I mean, obviously near Pittsburgh also, but West Virginia is having an enormous issue with, with addiction and overdose. I mean, as is the whole country, but West Virginia specifically is one of the worst states that's out yeah, there right I now. Think, yeah, I think, and I'm actually, you know, I'm fortunate enough right now, you know, uh, given the line of work that, you know, all of us do, you know, I'm at a, a conference in my state um, as we speak in, in Cheat Lake, West Virginia, which is a really beautiful area. And, you know, it's interesting to learn, you know, kind of like, you know, what are the factors that contribute to, you know, West Virginia having kind of exaggerated problems. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with, you know, we don't have the greatest economy. You know, we don't, we don't have the resources um, that per se a state like Pennsylvania, Florida, California, and some of those places have. So, you know, to be able to get any type of service in, in West Virginia, you know, you're going to go through wait lists. And uh, so it's, uh, I think we have a very, uh, a difficulty in, in, in helping people, you know, bridge that gap to hope, you know, so we got a lot of work to do. That's awesome that you're there to help them, you know, with all of that and to be a, you know, a resource for people to get the help they need. And yes. I love that you reached out, Eric, that you saw, you know, you saw the title of, of our podcast and that it struck your heart and that you were, you know, a big thing, Blake and I talk about often is bravery and being brave and like stepping into that, like something was calling your heart and, and this is your message and your story is going to help someone. So we're so excited. Thank you for trusting us and reaching out. Absolutely. A big part of your story, and like we just talked about with West Virginia, is is addiction. So tell us a little bit of how that got started and where that led you. Yeah. So you know, I um, you know, I grew up in um, you know, with a, a two parent family. You know, never went without anything. I would probably say, you know, just like a blue collar family. You know, my father was an electrician in a union. You know, my mother worked for a doctor's office, and. Um, you know, growing up, um, you know, uh, I think from day one, you know, me and my father, you know, for whatever reason, you know, just couldn't catch our stride, you know, from a, from a relationship perspective, um, mm. you know, um, so, you know, he, he was tough. Um, he was um, loving in his own way. It's it, it, for whatever reason, you know, I had a hard time seeing that at that age. Um, so a lot of my early childhood um, you know, I was literally looking for ways to make my father proud and it just, whatever, you know, call it what it is. You know, I take full responsibility for my actions today. So, you know, I have to keep it in, you know, it was, it was, it was my inability to see the world as it was supposed to be at that moment. So, you know, it, it impacted me. And, um, you know, I had a lot of feelings at an early age of um, low self-worth and self-doubt and insecurities were, were big in my life. And, you know, so I was always looking for ways, even before, you know, addiction came into play, I was always looking for ways to get out of that, just that nagging feeling. And, um, you know, so a lot of it, you know, in my story was, you know, just, I was the guy that would do the bizarre behavior, you know, to get someone to just notice me. Yeah. That was me to a T. Um, you know, it was hard to deal with, you know, by teachers in school and God bless all my teachers, you know, and, you know, that, that, you know, kept working with me and, and, and tried their best to, to guide me in the right direction. But, you know, eventually it was just, you know, like this, the same story as a lot of us, you know, is, you know, I think it was around middle school, you know, that first sip of alcohol hit the back of my throat. And, you know, the one thing that I've always connected with is that, you know, people say, you know, man, like I had arrived, 
like, oh, wow, like this took that uncomfortability away from me. So it was just going to be like, you know, the next 15 years, I was just going to chase that, that feeling, you know, and, and you know, it, as years went on it, you know, it, it took on new forms and stronger substances. And you know, I, the- I, I relate so much to what you're saying and I, I totally get it. And even to this day, there's certain times where I'm seeking my parents' approval still, or I still yeah. want their attention and, and not getting the attention from our parents early on or the type of attention that we want. Now they may pay attention to us and they try to show us love in certain ways, but we don't interpret it as love because we have our own love language. Right. So I still, I still deal with that sometimes today, but I totally relate of where I was doing anything to seek attention. I mean, I, I was on crutches and I threw myself down a flight of stairs just to make people laugh. I used to eat food that was clearly rotten just to make people laugh. I mean, whatever I could do to get attention, whether positive or negative, I used to choke myself in class until I passed out so that I would pass out and make everybody laugh and make the teachers freak out. And yeah, negative attention seeking behavior. Yeah. It's a good way to get out of yourself. Yeah. But when I found drugs and alcohol, it was the same thing. And I, I didn't realize it. And I'm sure you didn't at the time either. But looking back, I remember that it felt so much better to just be high and drunk because I didn't really care what other people thought. I didn't care about the attention anymore. So I, yeah. I, I relate to what you're saying a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, you know, like the, the one thing that was constant in my life, you know, from the time I was six years old, you know, my, my father was going to try to do his best to, I think really, you know, we talk about it now, but he, he was really trying to live, I think, vicariously through me because, you know, my father grew up in, a, in, a, um, in poverty and, you know, my father just wanted to play basketball and football and baseball. And my grandfather, you know, was a soldier. And my father, my grandfather was also a, a good, a very good baseball player um, that was in, you know, the major league baseball draft, but he didn't spend a lot of time with my father. So the one thing that I can always say is my father always spent time with me, but it was, it wasn't a father. It was a coach, right? So right, my father right. coached me through everything. Um, my father always gave me time, but it just got to a point where it's just like, even though I was excelling in like three sports, all the way through high school, got an opportunity to play at the collegiate level. Um, By that time, it was like, it it wasn't my decision. So there really wasn't that zest for sports within me. And, you know, by the time, you know, I, you know, so-called left the coop, you know, and went to college, it was just like, you know, it's, it's on, you know, I'm free. (laughs) My own devices. And, you know, really at age 18, you know, that's when, um, that's when things really just started to take an, you know, a bad right turn for me. So then fast forwarding to, let's say like your last few days of using, I mean, what, what did that picture look like? What were you using with our health issues that were going involved, involved in all of this? I mean, tell, tell us about those last few days and then those first few days of recovery. Yeah, sure. So I had, I had got introduced to recovery attempts at age 19. I, when I got sober um, in Florida at age 29, uh, it was my 12th treatment center. Um, wow. my, my first, uh, my first real um, attempt in, in, in recovery, and, and you know, I guess uh, you know, a fairly honest effort was in 2006 in Charleston, West Virginia, and I went through a six-month program. You know, I was you know I was on Medicaid at the time, um, and I went through a six-month program in West Virginia, and you know what? Those people at that facility were amazing, 
and they treated me like gold. And, you know, then I went on to a, a year long halfway house down in Charleston and, you know, was rebuilding my life um, during that period. Um, you know, as part of, you know, our topic, I did, uh, I did find out that I was, uh, you know, hepatitis C positive. Um, you know, but at that age, you know, I think I'm what, 26 years old. You know, I had went to a couple of follow-ups, but I was kind of at the beginning stages where it was just like, you know, doctors were telling me, you know, it's really not, it's not even affecting you. Yeah, you're positive, but your viral load, which is how they measure it, you know, is really not even worth even entertaining the discussion of treatment. So I, you know, one of my last learning lessons prior to landing in Florida was, you know, we talk about surrender and, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to give the program you know, everything except my, my finances and my relationships, right? I wanted to keep self-will and control of those two things. And sure, you know, sure. I, uh, I had two and a half years clean in Charleston. I had obtained a great job in a union and, um, you know, it fell head over heels for someone with 30 days clean, right? Now, you know, looking back on it, someone with, you know, two plus years of recovery, if you're truly in recovery, you know, out of respect and give that female the time for her to grow. And, and it shouldn't even be pursued. Um, but I just right. I wasn't there yet. So, you know, it sent me into another year of using misery um, to the point where like literally at age 29, March 31st, um, I literally had nothing but a bag of clothes. Um, I still had an insurance card. How I was holding on to that with my union is beyond me. Um, I was getting evicted from my apartment. My, my truck was getting repoed, you know, multiple overdrawn accounts. And it was like, I remember, you know, calling a place in Florida. And I remember just uh, the last thing that I used uh, before I got on the plane, I remember I, I used Dilaudid. And obviously at that point in my life, you know, I'm an IV drug user. And I remember thinking that it was okay to do triple the amount that I had routinely been using right and this was you know as i got sober was one of my first god moments where you know i had been doing um like two eight milligrams and for whatever reason i was driving in a car and when i was getting ready to to shoot up i missed and like, I always tell myself, like, what were you even thinking about doing that much? Like you never, even, you know what I mean? So it was just like, that was my first God moment getting sober. It was just like, what if you didn't miss, you know, what, what, what yeah, right. under, you know, and I don't know, I don't want to speculate, but you know, that was just my path to, you know, kind of seeing the bigger picture that, Hey man, maybe there's something out there that's looking after me and maybe, maybe there's a better purpose for me. So yeah, my first couple of weeks in Florida, you know, especially being in a treatment center where everybody was from like New Jersey and New York and right. Massachusetts. And here I am, this guy from a small town in West Virginia. You know, I felt like and, and, and I'm and I'm coming up on 30 years old. You know, I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb and I, I felt awkward. And you know what? But I sat in that chair and, uh, you know, there's a couple of people that um, early on would do H and I commitments and they, they impacted me, man. And, 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 and something woke up within my spirit, you know, finally. 
That is amazing. We, um, I wanted to, to go back really quick to just backtrack a little bit to you were talking about when you got your diagnosis. Um, you know, you, you said that at the time, you know, they were saying it didn't like it wasn't going to affect you and all of that. Now, how did you feel emotionally, you know, when you got that diagnosis? You, you know, so when I got the diagnosis, um, I, uh, I'll share a funny story. So I, I, when I got the diagnosis, it was in 2006. And I was in a, like I said, a, a six-month treatment center in Charleston, West Virginia. And um, my counselor there, and, and he wouldn't mind me sharing his name. His name is Mike Hamilton. He's got, you know, probably 30-plus years sober in AA. And um, so when I found out about that, you know, he was really – nice to just sit down with me and just put in perspective what that diagnosis meant, right? You know, it wasn't a death sentence. You know, it wasn't something that was going to kill me yesterday. And so the funny story comes in. So after he had that conversation with me, a week later, for some reason in my crazy mind, I just assumed that because I had hepatitis C that I had AIDS, right? So I went, I went running to him and I'm like, Mike, I don't know what it is, but I definitely had AIDS. So here's the joke. I'm nine and a half years sober right now. He just sent me an instant message a week ago saying, hey, you might want to go get checked up. Uh, are you sure you don't have AIDS? But it was like this, like that's how crazy my mind was at the time. Um, but, it, but it's nice because but, but people like that have always been placed in my life, you know, at the right time, you know, to help me gain perspective on, you know, whatever's happening in my life. And, and that'll be a common theme on what I, you know, what I talk about going forward in this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, so I'm, I'm curious then, obviously, once we get sober, then we have to start dealing with all of our issues. And that includes health issues. So when did you decide to deal with this hep C issue? And what, what did that look like for you? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I got like my actual sobriety date is, um, April 1st. So, I mean, I know it's like Fool's Day. April Fool's Day is my sobriety day. Nice. Um, so April Fool's Day, 2010. Um, you know, obviously, you know, I went, I was in treatment for a couple of months. Um, you know, they don't really, you know, do anything in treatment for it. Um, you know, I get out and I, you know, I got into a sober home and, you know, kind of got my first job in recovery. And, you know, probably I would say about six months into sobriety, you know, I, you know, those things start to become important again you know, taking care of my health, you know, getting a primary care physician, um, you know, who then connected me to, um, you know, a GI doctor um, right there, you know, near uh, by JFK in, in Palm Beach. And, uh, you know, so I went for my first initial consult. And obviously, you know, it was, you know, nothing, no surprise, you know, I did test positive. Um, you know, I think I believe it was genotype um, two. Um, and, uh, but, you know, at, at that time, the activity wasn't, again, it still wasn't, you know, anything to really be concerned about. So I was really at that time was on just like a, a, a twice a year follow-up routine. Um, you know, through that period, you know, I, um, you know, I met my wife, um, you know, we've been together nine plus years, um, you know, and, you know, she was doing her thing and in, in recovery, I was doing mine and, you know, we were building a relationship and, um, you know, we were just kind of doing the, the the slow thing where, you know, she stayed in a halfway house for a year. I stayed in a halfway house for a year. You know, we hung out a couple of times a week. You know, we weren't, you know, you know, all down each other's throats. You know, it was just kind of getting off the ground organically. Um, you know, then we move in together about, 
a little over a year sober. Um, and then, you know, then about two years in, you know, here comes our first daughter, our daughter. And, um, you know, what had happened at that moment, and I had probably seen my GI doctor probably a few times. Um, you know, I went to my next follow-up after I found out I was going to be a dad for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I remember sharing that story with my GI doctor. And I want to be careful on how I, how I describe this scenario because I don't want your viewers, I don't want people to interpret it as my doctor did me wrong because th- that's absolutely not the case, right? Sure. Um, I do feel like as a patient that I could have done better to research what, what the treatment I was going to go through was, um, right. second opinion. I, and, and, and if any viewer is hearing anything, when it comes to that type of stuff, always get a second opinion. You know what I mean? It's just, I think it's just so important. It's something that I didn't do. Um, and, and I don't know if I sit here and say that I wish I would have done it. I think it would have made the next, <laughs> maybe the next seven years, maybe a little easier. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But anyhow, so I'm, I'm in the doctor's office and I'm sharing that I'm going to be a father. And, um, you know, he starts describing, you know, kind of, you know, the, the time life of hep C, you know, where, you know, hep- hepatitis C is generally not going to kill you tomorrow. It's not going to kill you in a month. But, you know, where you run a greater risk is, you know, 50 years old, 60 years old, untreated, you know, you're at a higher rate for liver disease. Right. You're at a higher rate and risk for for cirrhosis and and now think, you've got a kid coming that you need to be there for long term right so i think that stuff was really playing on my heart where it was right. just like all right That's eric you're, you know you're you're 31 years old you know what i mean you're not you're not in the risk-taking business anymore you know what i mean so you know let's we gotta start thinking about how our lives impact others so i was like well what can we do treatment wise so at that time um, you know, the, the new medications that are out now, which are so much more humane, like Harvoni, mm-hmm. um, they were not available to me. Um, so I had to do, you know, the treatment that had been around for, you know, decades called interferon with rabbit. Yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. And, you know, I had heard the horror stories. Um, and you know what, there was some, you know, I have to admit, there was some ego involved in it with me too, because at that point in my life, I was probably in the best shape of my life. So you thought that like, Oh, I'll, I'll be fine. None of this stuff's going to happen to me. I'm tougher than the people who've gone through it. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely some ego. I mean, I was, you know, I had, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of us, you know, in early recovery, you know, we're starting to get back into fitness and and starting to eat healthier. Um, You know, so, so I felt good. I felt, you know, I felt like a a strong young man again. Yeah. yeah, You're bulletproof. Yeah. So I remember. um, So the way the treatment was, is the, the treatment was essentially, 24 weeks. So it's basically six months. And every week you have to, you have to do an injection. You can either do it in your leg or in your stomach. I just, you know, I chose the leg and, you know, I would have Brittany give me my injection. And then, you know, then it's a series of pills, you know, every day. And basically what you can expect is, you know, when I took my first shot, I mean, I, I woke up the next morning and I went to the gym and I'm like, Oh dude, this is going to be a breeze. Right. And, and then later that night, you know, my world came crumbling down. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, later that night, I mean, flu-like symptoms hit me hard, aches and pains, um, and just really just like this, this black cloud was over me. And I'm like, oh, man. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of the, the routine for the next six months would be the day after I took that shot. So about 24 hours after taking that shot, I would feel like that for the next three days. And then I would get, I would get roughly like three days of relief leading up to the next shot. And this was week God. in and week out. And so, so is, it, there, is there a fear building up over time where you feel like, you know, you're right before you take that shot, you're like, Oh God, I have to go through this again. And it was just, was there any part of you that wanted to stop and just say, you know, throw in the towel and say, I'm not doing this. Uh, I mean, it was like a weekly routine. I mean, I was just like, I mean, I would look at Brittany. Uh, I would talk to my sponsor, Keith, um, you know, some people in my supports. Um, my, I mean, I had, and I, and, and you know, mind you, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm only two and a half years into sobriety. You know, I had, I had been working in my first job in, in treatment um, only about a year. You know, I had been with a company um, and um, my boss, Elizabeth Potts, I mean, that woman, um, her and, and a, a gentleman by the name of Rich Apper and Terry Clower, who were my three bosses at the time, I mean, I they, they were like, I mean, I look back on it now, all three of them were like miracles because I had, like, I didn't, you know, I wasn't like, I, I had to work, you know, Brittany, we had to work to keep a roof over our head, you know, to save up for our daughter that's coming. Like, so I, I couldn't afford to go on FMLA. You know, I had, to, I had to do this thing. So I had to work all the way through it. And to add insult to injury, I had to go to work every day and talk to people that oh. were just like me leading up to going to treatment and, and give them the ear that they needed and give them the empathy that they needed and, and be compassionate and, and, and not, you know, talk down at people. And I look back upon all that and how I did all that was not me. You know what I mean? It was the people that were in my life. And, you know, it was for me, you know, it was, it was God, you know, that was walking me through that. So I was going to ask you, what is it that, that you think got you through that each week? But it sounds like it, it was what you just said, the people around you and, and faith in something greater than yourself, that it's going to be okay. And you just got to take it. I'm sure you put your program into action, take it a day at a time, a minute at yep. a time. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it was all that. I mean, it was just like, you know, the support that I was getting in the rooms, um, you know, with my, my sponsor, my sponsorship family, you know, Brittany, um, you know, my family coming back into my life, um, you know, my coworkers. And those were just three coworkers. I mean, I can rattle off, you know, probably 20 more coworkers at the facility that I was working with that were just gems in my life. But, but one person that I want to talk about specifically was, um, Amanda, you, you and Blake might even know this lady. There's a um, there's an African American lady that's in the rooms in West Palm, and uh, her name's Patricia, and she's got twenty some years sober. And um, she, my sponsor Keith was friends with her, and about three or four weeks into treatment, my sponsor like I called him one day, like just in a sheer panic, like I don't know how I can continue doing this. And he was like, I need to hook you up with Patricia, right? So I'd never met Patricia. And so I met her at a meeting. Um, I remember it clear as day. I remember I met her at a meeting on Saturday at the meeting place. And um, yeah, I know that place. Yep. Yeah, and um, and uh, so she started talking to me. And you want to talk about a woman that 
became such a source of strength for me for the next 20 weeks. I, words can't even describe it. So this woman went through interferon treatment because there's a couple of different genotypes. And depending on the genotype you had, determine your length of treatment. So this woman with a couple of years sober back in the 80s goes through the six-month treatment, right? Go, you know, endures all that agony and, and, and pain only to find out that she was misdiagnosed and had to go through a year long after that. So this woman did 18 months of treatment, right? And, and was standing there to tell me that she was still sober. You know, she was still helping people and she was giving me little gems along the way, you know, on how to just trudge to the next day. And th th there's, I'll never be able to repay her back for, for the impact that she had on me, you know, but she, wow. but I, I needed to share that because that, that's a big part of, you know, me just being able to walk through this. You know, I found someone in the rooms that had a story like mine that I just did that, that I just relied on. I'm like, listen, man, if she got through it, I'm going to get through this, you know, and then, you know, it didn't hurt to have like, Hey, you know, you got a daughter coming that's going to need you. So, you know, you got to, you got to endure. It's those little angels in our life, man. Yeah. We just never know when they're going to show up. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, like I said, there was a few times that, you know, I've never been a, you know, I've never been a big gun guy, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, and, uh, you know, there's a couple of times that, I mean, I, I told Brent, if, if there was a pistol in, in, in arm's reach, I'd have grabbed it. I'd have grabbed it. That's how much it, it was just torturing me. So tell us a little bit more now about what's life like today. And, you know, just in the interest of time, maybe focus mostly on what you're doing today and how you're taking your story and your journey to help others. And before you do that, I just want to preface and, and repeat something you said earlier. There, there are other hep C treatments out today that are, are less brutal and less aggressive yes. that you can go through that are, are going to be able to get rid of your hep C and you're not going to go through what, what Brooks did. And so if you have that issue, go, go after it, deal with it. Cause you don't want it coming back to bite you. Absolutely. Get multiple yeah. opinions. I, yes, I got definitely. that too. Oh yeah. Yep. yep. So, you know, I, I, you know, today, you know, I mean, so, you know, just to kind of, you know, in the, in the, in the essence of, you know, keeping it short and sweet, like, you know, I thought after the treatment that I was just going to rebound, right. Go back to where I was. And, you know, then I, that, so then at that point, then I started to show interest and in research and, you know, what are the long-term effects, you know, so now there's like everything online talks about like serious depression and I'm like, oh man, right? So, you know, from the time I stopped literally until February of this year, so you're talking about a six month or a six year time frame. you know what I mean? I've and didn't even realize it, battled with depression. Um, you know, um, we talked about, you know, I didn't, I, you know, I have to admit, I didn't have a healthy solution. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely that guy that likes to eat his feelings away, you know, and, you know, so, you know, next thing you know, it's like 2014. Um, and like, I remember being at my doctor's and getting on a scale and I weigh almost like 265 pounds. And prior to the treatment, I weighed 205. So I put 60 pounds on, you know, over, you know, a, a course of two years. And I was just like, how did I get here? Right. And it's just, I would, you know, make these, you know, brief commitments to go to the gym. And there was just that thing in my mind still that was like, dude, you're no good. You know, just eat, 
you know, and it was just like, I couldn't shake it. And, you know, it's just like, you know, the common theme, you know, when the pain gets, gets great enough, you know, we'll do something about it. So, you know, February of this year, you know, I'm, I'm back home in West Virginia. You know, we had sold our house in Florida. Um, we, we bought a new house in West Virginia. I got two healthy children. I got an absolutely amazing wife. Um, I, I mean, it's like everything that anybody would ever want, right? And I feel depressed. I'm like, so I'm, so I'm starting to like beat myself up. Like, dude, what are you not doing in your program of recovery? What are you not doing for self-care that is like the missing piece? Right. And it just dawns on me, right? So what did I do in April of 2011, uh, 2010? I asked for help. <laughs> That's simple, right? I asked for help. You know, all these years I've been just trying to do what I thought was going to work. You know, I wanted to have the solution for myself. And the truth of the matter is, is I didn't. So I remember I had always been, I'd always been apprehensive about medication, right? And, and, and trust me, guys, I'm not on a strong medication. I talked to my primary care physician. He was like, listen, he was like, people that take Prozac generally go on 40 milligrams. He was like, I've literally saved marriages with giving people a 10 milligram dose. So it's like a super low dose, right? So I, I, I became willing to try that. That, I hired a trainer that I've been working with for the past six months. Um, I've dropped 25 pounds. Um, nice. You know, and, um, and you want to talk about a complete 360 in my perception of my, me and my, and my life when I wake up in the morning. I hop up out of bed now, for the most part. You know, I mean, you know, we still get colds and, you know, things like that. But, you know, there's a new zest for life. Um, you know, I, I look at my, like, I cherish my children more. I cherish my wife more. Um, so, and, and, and all that stems from a, a simple act of humility. Just asking for help when you, when you don't have to. You know? Yeah. Well, man, I think, I think your journey is pretty incredible. And obviously you've, you've kept on fighting and kept on doing the deal and you didn't give up no matter what. So it's a, it's a really inspiring story of a, a lot of different adversities. Like most of our guests have a lot of different adversities that they have to face once they clean up their life. And then you having to deal with this all in sobriety and you can no longer have that crutch of substances uh, and practicing the principles of programs and having faith really got you through it. So it's a huge inspiration to me. Okay. Me too. So uh, we, it's, it's hard to ask for help. So that you asked for help is, is huge. You know, give yourself a lot of credit for that. It's like sometimes can feel like the, the hardest thing in the world to do, especially when you have worked so hard to get where you are already to have to go and ask for help. It feels like almost like you're going backwards, but really you were not, you were just facing another challenge in your journey and you're awesome. Yeah. But the one thing I did, I did just want to add real quick, cause it is an important part is so, so one of the side effects um, of the medication in addition to the depression is, you know, it's just uh, low testosterone and, and for males, you know, if anybody's ever experienced low, I, I never had, you know, I, I, I had no clue what that was. And I remember, you know, um, in 2014, when my weight was up, you know, I got a full blood panel and my, my testosterone was literally like in the, in the basement. Right. And mm -hmm. Um, you know, all the doc and I went and, and I actually did go to a couple of different doctors and all of them were trying to push testosterone on me. Right. And, um, I actually, and Amanda probably knows who I'm talking about. One of my best friends down there, you know, was, he fooled around with steroids and, and he's not with us anymore. 
Um, Tommy. So that was one thing that like I saw a lot of guys that I loved in Florida, you know, that were kind of following this trend, like, you know, get sober, get on steroids, back to drugs, and then they're not here anymore. Right. So I was like, I'm not going down that route. Right. So I so I so I never I never played around with that. But there really is healthy ways on how to get your testosterone up, you know, but it's just like anything that we do. It it takes work. You know what I mean? And, you know, I openly admit that I didn't have I didn't have it inside me on my own to do the work. So, you know, my trainer, which is a guy who um, his name's Connor Arlia. I grew up with him. He played football for WVU. Um, This guy's just like. Uh, uh, energizer bunny. I mean, he's just go, 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 go. I mean, what he's done for me in the past six months, you know, I couldn't thank him enough. You just made such a good point, man. There's really nothing that we could do that's going to be easy. If you want to grow in life and if you want to make progress and you need to overcome something difficult, it's going to take some time and hard work. There's no magic pill or instant fix to anything that we're going through. Yep. And you know what? It kind of goes along the lines with, I remember, um, you know, my sponsor would always tell me like this little gem. He was, you know, he was like, how do we achieve peace? Right. So I think in recovery, a lot of us, we always struggle. We always think that the peace is in the, the achievement. Right. And really the peace is in the journey. Like for me. So it's like, so when I start working on something, I feel peaceful just knowing that I'm putting the effort in right? That's where the peace is. Because a lot of times when I get to the the goal or the achievement, it's like, all right, I'm here. Now what? You know what I mean? So really the peace just comes, the work is the peace. You know, I think the thing that we struggle with is just getting off our butts and doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. Comfort zone. Yeah. I just saw a Jim Carrey quote. Jim Carrey, there's a quote there. He says, I hope you get rich, famous, and get everything you've ever wanted in your life, only to realize that it's not actually what you've been looking for. Right. Mm, so true. Yeah. So we are about out of time, but we do have one last segment that we do with every single one of our guests that we like to blindside them with. And it is called the Let It Out, where everybody every day is going through a small adversity and sometimes a big adversity. And we want to give you a chance to let it out today just as a problem shared is a problem cut in half so is there anything that's on your mind today even a small petty little thing which usually mine are very petty is there something you've got going on that you want to just let it out and to just to tell us absolutely and i actually really appreciate this topic because maybe this will be a segment a year from now so (laughs) 2014 i quit smoking cigarettes right I hadn't smoked anything, cigarettes, vape, nothing, for five years. This past July, I am down in Boca, you know, with my coworkers at Banyan, and, you know, we go out, and I'm with my coworker, Kevin Craner, and he's trying to quit smoking too, right? And I'm sitting there telling this guy, like, oh, man, we could go out to the diplomat in Boca, and we can have a cigar. It's not going to bother us, right? So let me tell you about how insidious – nicotine so now as we speak i smoke three cigars a day again oh boy (laughs) and i've been doing that for the past two months and i am like beside myself you know but you know so hey maybe maybe that's this is going to be my next journey but so yeah that is that that is definitely bothering me that's frustrating well i know amanda you've talked about your overcoming nicotine and how it's still something you don't crave drugs and alcohol anymore but every once in a while you still crave a cigarette 
Oh, through that hurricane, I, I dreamt about Xanax and I wanted a cigarette. <laughs> in the daytime, I wanted a cigarette. In my dreams, I was taking Xanax. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That was what the hurricane did yeah. to me. So What's I can, I can relate. I know if I, if I were to pick up uh, any kind of thing to smoke, I think I'd be doomed. You know, I, I loved my nicotine. Um, me, my let it out play. Let it out, girl. Um, okay. Well, I wanted to kind of give like a pot, like a positive, but also let it out at the same time. So the three of us work in the, you know, addiction treatment field. We are, you know, all do business development. I work for recovery ways and Blake, you work for recovery and plug and Eric, you work for Banyan. And I don't know. I feel like a lot of, un, uh, there's a lot of lack of gratitude for how awesome we really have it in our jobs, you know, out there, like people complaining and they want to get out of this and want to get out of this field and this and that. My let it out is be grateful. We have it made. We have very good lives. We have very good quality of life. You know, as long as we do what we need to do and we work, you know, we have really good jobs. So my let it out is people stop complaining and be grateful for your job. If you work in the behavioral health space, that's, that's what I have to say about that. That's my let it out. Hey, Blake? I think that's great. Yeah. Um, You know what? I really have to search for something to let out today. And I guess the only thing I could say would be I'm about to hop on a flight to Dallas. I just got back from Chicago a day ago. I was in Orlando last week. I was in Baltimore the week before. So I guess my only let it out is I just, I'd love a moment to sit and stare at a wall and do nothing. I get it. I get that. Heck yeah. I mean, Amanda, your, your let it out just reminds me, and it was something I was kind of going through this weekend, and I go back and forth through it, is that I just, I do get very frustrated with people in this field, um, the people who are just so close-minded and, and think that there's only one way to do, to do this job of outreach and business development, and also only one way to treat people as far as substance use disorders or mental health go, and close-minded to all the different modalities and treatments that are out there. It's it really gets under my skin because what ends up happening is they end up bashing people who try new things or who are, uh, have novel ideas or who put themselves out there. And it, it really drives me crazy that people can be so close-minded that they don't, they don't realize that we're all in this fight together. Absolutely. And not everybody needs treatment too. There's so many things that like are just like, you know, that in our, our way of life that are black and white and cookie cutter. And it's, it's just not like that. And more people will be able to get help if we start opening our eyes to that. You know, it's so funny you say that too, because some kid the other day relapsed, you know, one day relapse, and he was involved in the program, had a one day relapse. And all of these people who work in the field were pushing him to go back to treatment after one day of a relapse. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking at him I'm like, dude, just go back to your meetings. You don't need to go back to treatment right now. You're fine. You had a one-day relapse. You're okay right now. It's been a couple of days. Just go go back to your meetings and jump back in the program. Treatment is not always necessary right away when somebody has a brief relapse. Right, right. So, all right, well, yeah. Brooks, thank you so much, brother. Thank you, guys. Oh, wait, I, I want really to tell everyone how to find you. us. Oh, so, yeah. Thank you so much, Eric. You were awesome. Awesome. Thank you, guys. So, Amanda, how um, do people find us? And if we need guests, what do they have to do? Well, people can find us by emailing us two paragraphs at overcomingadversitypodcast at gmail.com. Or you, and you can also download and subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, Overcoming Adversity Podcast. And soon coming to SoundCloud. Oh, yay. 
And we do awesome. ask all of our listeners that if you have a moment on whatever format you are listening to us, go, go hit that five-star button. If you don't think that we have earned five stars and it's four, three, two, or one, eh, just pretend those don't exist and just keep talking. <laughs> but if you think we are, this is a five-star podcast, mash that button because it really helps us in the long run gain more listeners just like you. Yeah, we're only only five stars. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, Brooks, thank you so much, brother. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. All thank right. you. You're awesome. Bye, everybody. Awesome.